Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Seth. And I'm Zach. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. We are the Classic Gaming Brothers. It's another day, another and dollar, right, that's Seth? That's right. Well, wait, you get a dollar? No. I was speaking in a in a facetious sense. Oh, right, right. Uh, but uh, producer Doug did send us a, a good uh, note. It was full of anger, and but it was like you know his usual happy anger, uh, where he said, "If you ever throw my notes on the floor again, that will be the end of it." I don't know what it is. He just put a bunch of ellipses. He likes to sign things off with ellipses. I notice it makes communicating with him a little confusing because you'll be like, "Producer Doug." Did you like that audio that I sent you for review? And he'll say, okay, dot, dot, dot. He likes to leave. He's a mystery man. He's a mysterious man. He likes to he's leave things up. <laughs> we don't know what he looks he is, like. He is, no, I clearly see what he looks like through the glass. Imagine if you worked for a podcaster like a radio station, but you didn't know what your producer looked like, and you just like received mysterious notes every day. But when you said when you said he's a mystery man, or when I said he's a mystery man, and you called me out on it, I thought you were referring to the the '90s movie where he's uh, like he could be a mystery man. <laughs> And you don't need a really cool superpower in that movie. You can just have something lame. Anyway, this is unfortunately not a Mystery Man podcast. Oh my gosh, what if it was a Mystery Man podcast? But Zach, speaking of video games, what have you been playing recently? Seth, recently I've been playing Deathloop. It's a game that came out in 2021, and I've actually owned it for a bit now because you gave me a copy but I haven't been I able to play it because my old computer wouldn't run it very well. But mm. I recently upgraded to a new computer and I have been able to play it in all of its glory. Um, and it's a pretty good game. In the game, you play as Colt, who's an assassin who's stuck in a time loop. And that's pretty much the story. It's it's a pretty unique game uh, in that you are uh, constantly stuck in this time loop and your mission is to break the loop. And this loop will cause you to go back to a specific point every time you're killed. Uh, if you do die before taking out specific targets you wake up at the beginning of the loop so you have to go from there and it's kind of neat in that regards the game really does a good job setting up how this loop begins at the very beginning you you like walk into an area um you're like oh i need to find a code and you go through this little uh mission to try to find the code and right when you get to this one point where you think you're going to find the code there's like a message that's like the code was at the beginning of the game and you have to jump off a cliff and your character dies and then you restart at the beginning of the game and you find the code it was like a piece of paper that you just miss and i think that's kind of a funny little way of doing how this kind of like time loop system works it was developed by arcane lion and bethesda softworks and i, I will say it does kind of have a bethesda vibe to it similar to what you might find in a game like dishonored or prey where there is kind of a unique element as well as it just being like a shooter in the game it's advised that you use stealth i'm very bad at stealth so i kind of just like like 
like shooting around and fighting off enemies but i'm sure i'll get better at stealth in time uh, i am liking the game i think the the kind of time loop mechanic is interesting and i'm curious to see how the game will go i haven't gotten very far yet i'm like an hour into it so uh i'll have to keep playing and enjoying it yeah i uh i i was playing it and um i enjoy it a little bit i definitely get yeah you it's like the arcane vibes versus not necessarily bethesda right yeah vibes. arcane has a very i think specific yeah it's a vibe. very specific vibe which Deathloop definitely has be and being an arcane game it makes sense i like it i i need to get back into it and play it and really try to get through it i was watching someone recently who was saying that Deathloop is more of a shooter shooter versus a stealthy shooter the game tells you that you don't have to do stealth it says like you can tackle this game any way possible but there's certainly areas where i think stealth is preferred because if you don't go stealth you're going to leave yourself as a target to a lot of enemies pretty much when you're encountering enemies the first option you can take is usually stealth usually they don't detect you right away um stealth is always there and i think one of the cool things is when i was playing my character died but i didn't get sent back to the immediate beginning of the loop i got sent back to like slightly an earlier point and i like rounded the corner from where i died and i saw all of the enemies grouped up to where they around the area they killed me meaning they didn't like reset to their original places meaning i could have just walked around them and avoided that whole conflict and i think that's kind of a neat little way of doing that type of gameplay nice i've recently been playing uh hogwarts legacy uh which was uh, uh developed by avalanche software and is published by warner brothers games since warner brothers owns the video game license for harry potter and i actually am playing it this is uh, a couple of days before the launch and i've been playing it uh, because my uh, good friend of mine bought it for me for the the digital deluxe version of it. It's like actual real early access. It's literally early access to the game, not like early access, we're going to still develop this game for another 10 years. It's like early access, the game's coming out in three days. So far, I've just been playing through the tutorial. It's fun. Uh, I've, I like the story so far. I like the mechanics. I think the spell casting mechanic, it's kind of reminds me of like if you took the witcher and you put it in the harry potter world and scaled the graphics up a little bit and that's kind of like what hogwarts legacy is it's like got very kind of interactive role-playing so far it's only been an adventure game i haven't seen any real deviation where i get to make choices but i'm also probably in the story beat of the tutorial before they actually unlock the hogwarts world um but you play as a child who's going to hogwarts but is older than normal because because of the plot of the game. So the character is 15 and is joining the fifth year of the time of Hogwarts, which is a fun um because it's just like this he kind of looks like a young grown adult <laughs> and he's hanging out with these old men and the game has some already some pretty cool moments in it and I'm only like uh I'm very early into the game and there is a moment where something if you're really into the Harry Potter lore there are these creatures that are established in the game where they are uh invisible and then later on pretty early in the tutorial your character experiences something that makes them visible and if you know Harry Potter 
lore, you probably can guess like what your character experiences. And I think it's kind of cool. It's kind of cool how they did it. And it's a really, so far, has been a pretty interactive game. But so far, it's kind of also been more cinematic. Um, so I'm looking forward to cracking that tutorial bubble and really getting into the game proper to see how it's says that it's like this action rpg open world immersive world type deal so i'd like to see that past the tutorial so once i get through the tutorial i'm i may talk about this game again in a recently played just because i'll have more length on it i also hoping it runs okay on my steam deck since that's where i have transitioned a lot of my gaming to and I actually have a pretty long trip ahead of me, so it'll be fun to play it on the trip and really get some dedicated time on it because there's nothing like having five hours on a train and just having a dedicated five hours space of time to play a video game because there's literally nothing else you can do. And I also wanted to make a note. I've talked a lot throughout these past number of episodes about playing through the Mass Effect Legendary game. And I want to say that last night I actually beat Mass Effect Legendary. Nice. Very excited. Matthias Shepard, the sniper infiltrator, finally made his way all the way to the very end of the game and I picked the destroy option so I destroyed all the reapers, which was great. And I had a perfect score so uh, he uh, Shepard lived, which was also great. There is actually, I to just talk about Mass Effect for a little bit, I went down a really weird world of ending mods where people modded the game so that the ending was changed and somebody made a mod where they're leaving the Crucible and in the game, whichever options you generally take, essentially the crew convinced Joker that he just needs to leave. And in the mod, Joker's like, I'm not leaving, but they use like footage from the game. So there's like a footage of Joker where Shepard's standing behind him. And obviously Shepard's not there because Shepard's on the Crucible, but they use that footage. And then they use some footage of like a ship coming up alongside the, the Normandy and some voice acting comes over and it's definitely some random person talking into a mic like us and not like an actual voice actor and they're like don't worry we got him <laughs> then they have shepherd at the end i don't know if this person's character shepherd was just beat up or like they just had the shepherd scars but like they had a character model at the end of the game where shepherd's standing in front of the um the wall of the fallen and in the true destroy ending your love interest is holding they they put up admiral anderson and they and your love interest is holding shepherd's name and they go to put it up but they decide not to put it up if you got a perfect score because shepherd's alive and they your love interest feels like that your shepherd's alive but in the modded version shepherd is holding admiral anderson's name and he puts admiral anderson and then he turns back and he's just sad and he looks to his love interest and they hug except in this version that i watched on youtube because i just wanted to see like what the differences were the shepherd looked destroyed like he was so beat up and like literally had like scars and blood running down his face and i was like the shepherd not even like he got dressed to go to this like memorial service but he didn't even bother like patting his face off like he's just dripping in blood i was just like this is weird but anyway i just wanted to have a celebratory talk about how i finally beat mass effect legendary and i did i want to say 85 to 90 percent of it on my steam deck which is great no that's really cool I'm, I'm happy to hear that that good news in today's episode we are going to be talking about a topic that we've kind of alluded to before a few 
few times. Back in episode 32, way back when, we went over the British Invasion, where we talked about British game designers. And we talked a bit about today's topic because of their designer, DMA Design, which later became Rockstar North. And today we're talking about one of their biggest hits, Grand Theft Auto. DMA Design was founded in 1987 in Dundee, Scotland, and is currently headquartered in Edinburgh, Scotland, as Rockstar North. Uh, the company began life when David Jones, Russell Kay, Steve Hammond, and Mike Daly met up frequently for a Kingsway Amateur Computer Club in the town of Dundee. The group were primarily ZX Spectrum and Commodore 64 users, though Jones was the exception as he owned an Amiga 1000. They often worked on various small games and projects together. Uh, this included titles like Moonshadow, Freak Out spelled F-R-E-E-K, and the game with no name. That's its name. The game with no name. While attending Dundee Institute of Technology, the group would work under a temporary name called Acme Software in order to publish one of their first games together. This game would become Draconia and was a space shooter style game where you flew through various levels fighting aliens, fighting giant skulls, and fighting other beasts. In 1987, the team would officially incorporate as DMA Design, partially because they couldn't incorporate as Acme Software as the name Acme was taken already. The name DMA was actually pulled from an Amiga programming manual, with the acronym DMA referring to direct memory access. But for the company, it actually had no meaning. They just liked the letters, so they chose that, and there's no meaning to DMA. In 1988, they renamed the game Draconia to Menace and published it on the Amiga, Atari ST, Commodore 64, and on MS-DOS. Menace was a small success for the company, selling about 20,000 units and generating about 20,000 pounds in revenue for the starting company. Uh, they used this money to begin work on more games, with their next blood money, not to be confused with Hitman Blood Money, uh, was released in May of 1989 for the Amiga and Atari ST. Whenever I see Blood Money, I just think Hitman Blood Money. I wish it was Hitman Blood Money released in 1989 for the That'd Amiga. Be, fun. be like a, one of those D-makes. It's just like a, yeah, it's like a point-and-click adventure game. Yeah, but this Blood Money was a, was a point-and-click adventure game, right? Blood Money was also a shoot-em-up, similar to Menace. Um, and it has more of a, like an organic look to it. So uh, looking at some screenshots, um, some of the enemies you're fighting include what look like sandworms, jellyfish, giant crabs, and you pile around a little submarine. The cover is also like, it almost looks like a predator mixed with like a Sardaukar from Dune standing on a desert planet holding a rifle. Don't know what that has to do with the game, but I, the cover is very good. Nice. And the text is in this like, like it looks like it should be for Prince of Persia. It's like sweeping oh, it's like, with yeah, like, it's like yeah. a like a sweeping uh, cursive type deal. Yes, yeah. Oh, that's that's fun. Well, after releasing a variety of games through the later part of 1989 and the early part of 1990, the company would see their first big hit when they released Lemmings in 1991. Lemmings probably deserves its own episode and is probably out of all the games like Draconia, Menace, and Blood Money. It's probably the first game that you actually know. For those unfamiliar with Lemmings, it's a puzzle game that requires you to guide a group of small creatures to an exit, and they're kind of dumb. Yeah, the creatures will, like, fall off cliffs. They're not, like, actual, like, real lemmings are a type of rodent. These yes. creatures look like little gnomes with uh, feet. Yeah, they're like little gnome aliens that are tiny, and they... Uh, 
they like to fall off cliffs. Lemmings wasn't just a success, it was an earth-shattering success. The game initially sold 55,000 copies in one day and would eventually hit over 20 million by at least 1997. So if we look back to one of their first games, Menace sold about 20,000 units. Lemmings, 55,000 in just one day. So they obviously hit it gold with this puzzle type game. And it was in fact popular enough that it was the first game to be featured on a 2020 Royal Stamp Collection and it has a statue dedicated to it in Dundee. Many of DMA's games were published by a company called Psygnosis, which was acquired by Sony in 1993. Following this, DMA would begin working with Nintendo to publish a few different titles. One of these was Unirally, or in North America we call it Uniracers. Unirally slash Uniracers is an odd little game where you play as a unicycle, hence the name Unirally or Uniracers, and you race other unicycles. It's a game that also caught the attention of Pixar because they wanted to sue them. They sued DMA because they thought the unicycle was a bit too similar to a 1987 short film called Red's Dream. And DMA actually lost the lawsuit and Pixar won. So Nintendo would go on to terminate the production of Unirally cartridges. And Mike Daly of DMA commented that the problem with Pixar was that they seemed to think that any computer-generated unicycle was owned by them. Apparently, the court case, someone from DMA was talking about the court case and said it was basically consisted of the judge holding up a picture of Red Dreams and then holding up a picture of Unirally and being like, yeah, they're the same. Now, this lawsuit didn't stop DMA from working with Nintendo. Uh, they actually weren't briefly involved with developing a Kirby title, but that ended up just getting canceled. But they would also work on a game called Body Harvest, which began development as a launch title for the N64, but was delayed and would eventually get released released in 1998 for the N64. Nintendo didn't actually feel comfortable publishing Body Harvest, so DMA had to get the game published through Midway in the US and Gremlin Interactive in Europe. The game was fairly unique for the time, as it does have a pretty open world that you can explore. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely familiar with this game. Yeah, it's like a it's like a sci-fi game where you play as like, it kind of looked like a mech man, like a, yeah. like a robot or like a dude in a mech suit. And yeah. you can also like just jump into random cars uh, or vehicles and drive them around. Yeah, and can't you just blow up things like you can literally everywhere. just blow up anything everything yeah. yeah you can blow yeah. up everything i just whenever i see harvest i always think harvest moon so then i was just thinking like body harvest in the body like harvest, harvest moon. moon yeah body harvest ah uh, like the graveyard keeper that should be called body harvest moon yeah body harvest is actually a really uh unique game for the n64 and it's there's not a lot of games like it because it's it's very very unique arguably body harvest would be kind of a almost like a tech demo for what became grand theft auto 3 but prior to the least of body harvest dma was working on another game that used an open world setting and that game was the first grand theft auto grand theft auto actually began life as a game called race and chase and was planned to be an ms dos windows 95 playstation sega saturn and n64 title but ultimately the final game wouldn't be uh, released on the sega saturn or the n64 the game started development in 1990 
1995 and was first playable in 1996 and would be released in 1997. And reportedly, part of the reason for the delay was just due to a lot of different changes that were happening during development. One of those being that the game was changed a few times because people thought it was boring and it was almost canceled on multiple occasions. Now, in 2011, an original design document for Race and Chase made it to the internet, which detailed some early elements that were planned for the game. This included a plan for three different cities, different missions, and a demolition derby. They also wanted to incorporate a way for players to leave their car and steal another car. Some of these would make it into the final game of Grand Theft Auto, as the game is called Grand Theft Auto. You could probably imagine what part made it in. The original plan for Race and Chase changed because people found it kind of boring, so instead of being good-natured street racer, you were instead a criminal. Which I would say arguably, depending on where you're racing, you are also a criminal. The the way I heard it, though, was the game was basically based on cops and robbers. And then they right. were like, but what if it was robbers and cops? <laughs> <laughs> I gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, yeah, you're... And I, I feel like the Grand Theft Auto criminal is a bit more um, criminal than... <laughs> yeah, like, than just, like, drag racing at night. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, ooh, just like drag race at night. Grand Theft Auto criminal wields a rocket launcher. A big influence for the development of the game was Pac-Man, which that influence can be seen in how the pedestrians get run over and how the police chase the player, similar to collecting dots in Pac-Man and being chased by ghosts. Another big influence was the game Elite, specifically the open structure that the game has. And I believe Elite, correct me if I'm wrong, is a space game? Yeah, it's like a first-person space game. Very um, spacey. GTA was written in C++, and it was later ported to Microsoft Windows, PlayStation, and the Game Boy Color, so it didn't make it to the Saturn or the N64. The music for the game was inspired by the idea of just driving around and listening to the radio. Uh, three members of DMA composed various ra- radio tracks and recorded them in the company's office. There are seven radio stations that you can listen to, as well as a police band. You can also load in your own music by taking the game's disc out of your computer and inserting a music disc disc after the game has fully loaded. The theme for the game is called Gangster Friday and was composed by Craig Connor of DMA. Now Grand Theft Auto was made up of six different levels split between three cities. Liberty City based on New York, San Andreas based on San Francisco, and Vice City based on Miami. People that are familiar with Grand Theft Auto are likely familiar with all of these cities as they have later appearances in later games. The game is actually pretty linear despite being open world in that each level unlocks after completing the previous level. However, essentially the tasks that you have to do in the levels can be completed in any order. The objective is to reach a specific number of points. So uh, you have to earn points by doing different things such as murder or destruction or completing challenges or stealing and selling cars or primarily performing tasks for the crime syndicates, which earn you points in a, in a faster way. Jobs can also be completed, as mentioned, in any order. So you really have freedom in the game, allowing you to do whatever you want. Uh, the game is played from a top-down perspective where the player is represented as kind of a small little figure moving around the screen. Now, Grand Theft Auto was a bestseller when it launched in the UK. It quickly sold over a million units in combined sales of the PlayStation and PC version. The game, however, had mixed reviews. 
1998 GameSpot review said the graphics were plain, but praised the radio stations and the sound effects. Other reviews also praised the freedom of the game, but criticized the quality of graphics or some repetitive elements. Overall, it scored fairly averagely, with computer and video game giving it a 710, EGM giving it a 6.5 out of 10, and GamePro giving it 2 stars out of 5, and IGN giving it a 6 out of 10. Also, fun fact, it was almost banned in the UK. The game's violence was considered controversial and the House of Lords debated banning the title. Ultimately, the House of Lords determined that if a game would not receive classification, the British Board of Film Classification was a rating system that was used by the UK before it adopted its current rating board, it would be unlawful. This controversy helped Grand Theft Auto as the company's publicists used the controversy to help with the promotion, hence being a very good seller. The House of Lords raised the issues with not just the violence but also the depiction of sex in the game. Lord Campbell of Croy indicated that the game includes thefts of cars, joyriding, hit and run accidents, and being chased by the police, and asked, is that not off message for young people? Lord Williams of Moston countered this by indicating while he agreed with Lord Campbell's assessment, the game hadn't been classified yet and still needed to be judged by the proper classification system. And then he went on to make some joke about the Tory members, which is, I mean, a classic British politics. I think it's fun that they couldn't ban the game because it wasn't classified. <laughs> yeah, like, like, well, it still had to go. It was essentially like if a game was announced and it had it gone through ESRB rating system. Yeah, if something like that happened here and Congress was like already planning to ban the game before it even been rated yet. So I think that's kind of where um, the the Honorable Lord of Austin was going, where he was indicating that, you know, the game still has to be reviewed as per the proper policies they had already set up. Yeah, but if that happened stateside, they would just ban the game before esrb and be like whatever no they would have arguments for so long that the game would be well released by then they would have arguments so long the game would be outdated by then fun fact despite the fact that the game didn't really score that great um it doesn't really matter if people don't like your game because if it makes money it's considered a success and gta was a massive success so of course sequels followed uh the first sequel grand theft auto 2 would release in 1999 and placed pretty similarly to grand theft auto 1 it's top-down perspective it has some updates to the graphics but beyond that it's pretty much grand theft auto 1 but more uh grand theft auto 3 released in 2001 would be the first game to have a major departure from the gameplay while it's still a third person perspective it's no longer top down and it's now a camera behind the player perspective following gta 3 this would kind of become the standard and the other games that were released uh, would follow this path beyond a few exceptions um and after gta 3 there were also two other games released um vice city in san andreas which are not really they they are their own gta games but they're not part of like the numbered series they're not even considered spin-offs so they're kind of like they fall in a weird place of like after gta 3 but before gta 4 gta 4 would release in 2008 and GTA 5 would release in 2013 and is still being released on consoles to this day because GTA 5 is basically the Skyrim of Rockstar in that it will always come out no matter what. Like, I'm sure there's a version of GTA 5 being worked on today and it is 2023 when the game was released in 2013. There are also spin-offs and expansion packs, with the first two spin-offs being London 1969 and London 1961. Other spin-offs though included Liberty City Stories, Vice City Stories, 
in Chinatown Wars. Chinatown Wars briefly goes back to the top-down perspective that was found in the previous games, and also has a fully rotatable camera. Now, reportedly, Grand Theft Auto 6 is in development, though it is technically untitled, um, so people refer to it as Grand Theft Auto 6 Online, but until Rockstar says this is the name of the game, it's currently to be determined on what its title is. I assume it will be 6, but who knows, maybe they'll surprise us. Well, that's going to be our Grand Theft Auto episode. Uh, Zach, ready to get into the Retro Rewind? I'm going to go first. You go first. Zach had me playing Adventures of Batman and Robin for the Sega Genesis. If you have fond memories of playing Adventures of Batman and Robin for the SNES, which is an action platformer that plays out like an episode from the popular cartoon by uh, the popular cartoon Batman the Animated Series in the style of Bruce Timm, that's not the game that's on the Sega Genesis. It's still related so to the, the it's still <laughs> related to the Bruce Tim cartoon, but instead of each level being an action platformer with large sprites, each level is a run and gun side scrolling where you play as Batman and you are a very small sprite. It's two player cooperative, which is cool. Uh, I played solo because no one was in my room with me. You could play as Batman or Robin. I played as Batman. And you have unlimited batterings and you blast people. You could, in fact, replace Batman with anything and the enemies with anything and would probably play the same way. The only issue I had with the game was the sprites were kind of small because they wanted you to have this weird perspective where the buildings like lean in and you can jump on the second floor and the buildings are kind of like they're just like it's a weird background where they're kind of like almost 3d-ish and the but the sprites are like 2d and it's just it's fine the game's all right uh if you like running gum batman themed games so i think it holds up for what it is Zach, for next episode, I want you to play Sunset Riders, and you can either play it on the arcade or the SNES version. Don't play the Genesis version. Genesis does. Can't do that on Nintendo. Seth had me play Lords of the Realm, a turn-based strategy game released in 1994, developed and released by Impressions Games. It's a pretty simple game, both aesthetically and in terms of the gameplay. Majority of the gameplay, at least from the economic sense, works in basically just adjusting data points. So you're like adjusting the number of workers and what they're working on and other economic elements, like how much you're going to tax them. Uh, and this is done in a turn-based style. So there are other kingdoms that are also working uh, on building up their kingdoms and uh, b developing their economies. And every now and then you'll get a message from like a neighboring kingdom being like, hey, can you trade with me? Or or, hey, uh, just so you know, I'm probably not going to invade you. Or, hey, do you want to go invade that other guy? Um, and in terms, this is very similar to what would become Civilization, um, where in Civilization, you have a very similar type of gameplay loop. The combat, however, is where things change. It turns into a real-time strategy style of game. Though I didn't actually get to that point in my gameplay. I was pretty much just in the economic state for a while. I had fun playing it, but honestly, I think I need to spend a bit more time playing it. It's one of those games that I think you really need to sink your time in, and you can't really just jump in, play a little bit, and get out. In that regards, I don't know if I would say it holds up, as I think games like Civilization and Stronghold fill the exact same niche while being a bit more robust. To say it like this, if I want to play an economy sim where I also go to war, I'm probably going to play Stronghold or Civilization. Uh, most likely Stronghold because I prefer the gameplay style of Stronghold a bit more than Civ. But yeah, 
uh lords of the realm does it hold up not to me but if you're interested in playing uh early strategy game uh for the for dos go right ahead um you can play it on archive.org next week seth i want you to play zero wing for the sega mega drive great i think i also maybe instead of well i want you to play sunset riders but maybe every couple of episodes i'll then i'll put in another lords of the realm game because there's a bunch of them i want to see if you start to like them as they get on i'll try them out um it's it's i think the first one just feels very dated uh so i'd be willing to try the other games i like that style of game uh, just this one was like it was just so much text it was and like adjusting data points all right well that will do it for today's episode thank you everyone for listening and if you have any fun memories of Grand Theft Auto, please email us at classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com. If you want to reach out to us, um, feel free to send us an email our way or reach out to us via our Facebook, Classic Gaming Brothers, Instagram, Classic Gaming Brothers, Twitch, Classic Gaming Brothers, or Twitter, CG Brothers Pod. You can also check us out on our website, classicgamingbrothers.com, or you can listen to us where all podcasts can be found, such as Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, everything you can imagine. Uh, With that, I also want to remind everyone that we're going to be at the Rockland Boston area retro show boston area game show i forget what it's called to be honest uh we're i'm gonna have a table there seth is planning to be there most likely um and that's going to be on february 26th it's at 10 a.m in rockland you can look it up boston area retro show uh we're also going to be at pax east and we'll be wandering around pax east so if you're planning to attend pax east let us know uh maybe we can meet up get some food have a drink talk about video games anyway with that being said seth is there anything i'm forgetting don't play games like my brother (laughs) and don't play games like my brother i've been seth and i've been zach and we've been the classic gaming brothers that's That's right that's right